talking about mercy today, and we're going to be doing that from Luke chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, Luke 6. If you don't, there's a blue Bible in front of you, page 862. And I'm also going to read and reference two other passages, Romans chapter 5. So Luke 6, Romans 5, 942 if you're using the Blue Bible, and 2 Corinthians 5, 966. Luke 6, Romans 5, 2 Corinthians 5. This passage in Luke is very important and particularly practical uh, for everybody who's a disciple of Jesus. And for the next few weeks, uh, let's think of ourselves as wrestling with the text, including myself, and asking questions like, how does this apply to my specific situation? This is a text that has to be individually digested. And I'm afraid in a sermon, in the limits of a sermon, I couldn't possibly address your history or your enemies and what you should do specifically because there's not going to be a, a one-size-fits-all for every situation. And so I would uh, want you to feel free uh, to e email me with your questions and say, hey, what do I do? And that might help me as I sort of wrestle through the text myself and talk about it next week and then uh, a week or two afterwards. So let's imagine this morning on this sermon you're entering a carpentry shop. And up front there are a few items that are finished. But you walk through that and you come to the back and there's a lot of unfinished products, products that still need work. That's this sermon. Just giving you a warning. It's not a finished product. Uh, and you'll see why just with the text and, and the applications for it. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And for the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, 
and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind and ungrateful, and he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for the righteous person, though perhaps a good person one might dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 19 and 20. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. Robert Smalls was born into slavery in Buford, South Carolina in 1839. No one was sure who his father was, but rumors suggested it was the plantation owner, John McKee. At nine years old, Smalls worked in a field, and what he remembers most is the whipping post, watching the flesh torn from black men's backs who were only looking for freedom. At the age of 12, Smalls was offered or was allowed to work outside the plantation, and there he made $15 a month. He got to keep $1, and the other 14 went to Mr. and Mrs. McKee. By the time of the Civil War, War Smalls was married and he worked as a slave on a boat in Charleston. Smalls and the other slaves were working the ship, and each day they would see the, the Union ships, the blockade, sitting off the, just off the coast of the Charleston Harbor, creating a blockade for Confederates, but calling, calling the Smalls and the other slaves, this is freedom. Just before dawn, May 13, 
1862, Robert Smalls and a crew of fellow slaves, while the captain and the other white crew members were asleep ashore, they slowly slipped a cotton steamer off the dock in the Charleston Harbor. He stopped once to pick up fam, his own family and family members of the other slaves, and they slowly navigated their way through the Charleston Harbor. Smalls knew how to steer the ship, so he doubled as the captain. He had a wide-brimmed straw hat that he would hope that would hide his face from the people on shore. He responded to all the proper signals as the boat made its way out of the harbor, including the last checkpoint of Fort Sumter. When clear of the harbor, Smalls sailed into the open sea, and once he was outside the Confederate waters, he and his crew raised the white flag and sailed right into the Union blockade. And in fewer than four hours, Robert Smalls had done something unimaginable. In the midst of the war, he, as a black male slave, had commandeered this heavily armed Confederate ship, and he delivered nine men, five women, and three children from slavery to freedom. Smalls went on to be uh, a soldier in the Union Army. He had quite a career. It's very worthwhile you reading about him. But years after the war, he returned to Buford, South Carolina, and he purchased the home in which he was born a slave. One day, while his family was at home, an old white woman suffering dementia, dementia walked up, stumbled up the path towards the home past the empty slave quarters, and she was mumbling this, this is my home. This is my home. No one recognized her until Robert Smalls came out to greet her, and immediately he recognized her as Mrs. McKee, the wife of the man who once owned him. Her husband had died, and now she's confused as to where she lives. Robert Smalls welcomed her into his house and immediately took her in, and Mrs. McKee lived in that house comfortably until she died. Wow. What mercy. I mean, can you imagine doing that? The person that has attributed to your misery, you offer mercy. That's what we're trying to get at this morning. Can you do that? Can I do that? Jesus, in chapter 6, verse 20, he lifts up his eyes, it says. He's staring at every one of the 12 disciples. He's taking enough time to make eye contact. It's not just sort of a gaze. It's, it's I'm trying to make sure I've got eye contact with, with, for a moment with every one of these 12 men. Because I'm going to say some things that are very important, and I need to make sure they're, they're sitting up straight and they're really focused on me and not distracted. And with that, he unfolds a distinctive mark 
of discipleship, which is mercy. Now, I'm going to talk about this over the next few weeks. It's hard to say how long this is going to go. But this morning, I want to try to address this distinctive mark in three categories, let's say. First, uh, the big question. Second, beware. And third, be active. The big question, beware and be active. The big question, let's look back at verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. As a disciple of Jesus, when I read these verses, my big question is, how? I mean, I see it. I'm educated enough to understand it. But how? I mean, how do I do that? I have, I have real enemies. And when I think of these enemies, my first response doesn't seem to be loving or lending. So how, how is it? How do I summon the strength? Where do I get the emotional fuel to love somebody who's an enemy and do good to them? What, what's the fuel that I'm using to be kind to ungrateful and evil people? Where does that come from? I think the, the answer to that question is verse 36. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. You might say in this verse, Jesus directs his disciples to the gas station. Like, I know you're going to ask how. And I want you to know, here's the gas station. The gas station is, you got to fill up that God has been loving and merciful to his enemies. And because he's done that and you're following after him, then you're going to be able to do the same. And so I want to ask this question. Well, who are the ungrateful enemies of God that he has been merciful to? I mean, show me those ungrateful, evil people. And who are those people? Yeah, you. Me. He, he's been loving and kind and merciful to me. To me. That's, that's what has to get all the way down in your soul. That's the first big step. That's the answer to the big question. And in Romans 5, you see that Christ died for the ungodly. Christ shows us his love for us that while we were still sinners, he dies for us. When we were enemies, we were reconciled. So the ungodly sinner who is an enemy that God loved was me. Is you. Let that sink all the way down. That's the fuel. It's something you're going to have to revisit over and over again. It's not a one-time visit. Luke chapter 6, 36. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say this. Be merciful even as God has been merciful. See that? It doesn't say that. It says be merciful even, what does it say? As your Father 
Your Father has been merciful. I want you to feel the explosive love of God in that. I mean, it would be true, be merciful, because God is merciful. That'd be true. But, but Jesus is trying to get some un, way underneath that and say, no, he's your father. Not only has God shown mercy, he's adopted. He's our father. As sinners, each of us have directly contributed to Jesus' misery on the cross. But God has, he's taken us back in. We wandered up the trail. And Jesus says, well, come back into my house. You, you can be a part of my family. Even though you've directly contributed to my misery, I want you to be part of my family. It's, it's incredible. It's amazing. It's the fuel you have to get up and drink every day to understand who you are, to understand who God is. And, and, and even beyond that, as hard as this is to even get beyond, God plans, as we see in 2 Corinthians 5, for you and I to be ambassadors of mercy. If you are a disciple of Jesus, who are you going to show mercy to? Who? Your enemies. Just like God did. You see, you know what an ambassador does. He just says and does the things that the king back in the country says and does. So if, if the king has been merciful to enemies, if I'm an ambassador, well, then I'm going to be merciful to my enemies. I'm just going to act like the person that I'm representing. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples. So let's pause there. Take a big, deep breath. Because when we get to the practice side of things, if this isn't fueling how you get to the answer, you're not going to have a good outcome. Before we can take any concrete action steps of mercy, the marvelous mercy of God has to sink all the way down in your soul. We were enemies. But because of his mercy, he's invited us back into the house. One writer beautifully puts it, God loves his enemies into existence. I love that. What, what brought me from death to life? Well, the love of God, the mercy of God. He loved me into existence, into reality. And incredibly, now you and I are people who are supposed to love people into existence, especially our enemies. And I want to pause here and just insert a piece of, piece of cultural analysis. And you can agree or disagree. An article written in The Atlantic, quoting a Baylor University professor, Alan Jacobs. He says this, people come to believe what they most thoroughly and intensively are instructed to believe. So whatever you're around, whatever you listen to, the, the voices in your head, whatever that is, the sort of the dominating voice, the most intensive voice, that's going to infiltrate you and that's going to be a part of your belief system, Dr. Jacobs is saying. 
And unfortunately, that instruction comes not from the churches today, but from the media they consume. Or rather, the media that consumes them. The churches have barely better than a snowball's chance in hell of shaping most people's lives. Because what the media wants is engagement. And engagement is most reliably driven by anger and hatred. The media bank that when we hate each other, ratings go up. So often that hatred migrates into the church and we simply don't have the resources to resist. You see what Jacobs is saying? You can disagree. But that really what happens is you come here for half an hour, an hour, hour and a half. But then you go out and you, you consume intensively media. And the media gets clicks by anger and hatred. And that intensively informs your narrative so even though you sort of say you believe this, you, you can't really offer out the love of Christ because you're being dominated by another voice, another narrative. I wonder if that's what you think happens. Jacob is saying we're narrating a story in our minds. God's story is that he loves his enemies into existence. That's his story. But if most of what we consume is anger and hatred, then do we have a snowball's chance in hell of being ambassadors for mercy? It's all part of the wood, wood, wood shop. Just, I'm throwing it out there. You need to process that and think about that. Where do you get the fuel to love your enemies and be kind to ungrateful, evil people? It's by understanding the love of God and that story you must narrate to yourself and your soul every day. If you don't do that, then let's just not, let's skip the rest of it, right? Because you're going to want to get into a practical thing and I'm just going to say the practical is not going to work out very well if you don't have the fuel. So let's not travel down a road you're not gassed up to travel down. Does that make sense? So it might be for some of us just, uh, I got to really stop just right there. And I, I got to get that all the way down. And then I'll re-listen to this sermon at some other point And we'll get more practical because let's just not get into the practice before we have the fuel. Point number two, if, if you're still paying attention. Beware of credit, verses 32 through 34. Now, this isn't related to Dave Ramsey, so let's not think about that. How would you know if you're truly running on the inexhaustible fuel of God's marvelous mercy? How would you know? How would you know if you're a healthy ambassador of mercy? I think in these three verses, Jesus provides a little window into self-examination. Examine, he says, your current relational exchanges. And Jesus is so, such a skilled analyst of the human heart. See, see what Jesus is saying here. Look carefully at your current relationships. Are they based on the credit system? You notice it's mentioned three times. 
if you love those who love you, what benefit, the same word is credit, what credit is it to you? If you do good to those who do good, what, what credit is it? If you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit, what credit? Look carefully at your current relationships. Are they based on the credit system? Are you loving and lending and doing good for others? But secretly you're looking for credit. Beware. You, you might not think you're doing this. I think this is what Jesus is saying. Be careful. You can easily do that. This is sort of the natural way to move. Jesus knows that if we haven't experienced this deep relational reconciliation with God, then when we go out into the world and enter into relationships, we enter with a deficit. You see, I want to go back to point number one. You see, if you don't, if your gas tank isn't topped off in some way, when you enter into a relationship, you need something. You have a deficit. And this person somehow has got to add something to your emptying tank. This relationship has to provide. It has to pay off. There's a book I've been reading, and I, I think it's a wonderful book if you want to pick it up. Small, which is what I like about books when they're small. 100 pages, maybe. The Gift of Being Yourself part of a trilogy by a guy named David Benner. We'll send you a little link to it in the newsletter. Here's what Benner says. When we don't know God, then our identity is based on an illusion. At the core of the false self is the belief that my value depends on what I have or my relationships. See that? I, I, I really am not based on God, so I, my, my image is an illusion. And that illusion is based on things out here in the world, relationships or things. Listen to what he says. We wind experiences and relationships around ourselves like bandages in order to make ourselves perceptible. You, you walk out with an illusion of who you are and you want to be perceived as a real person so you attach to yourself experiences and people and you wrap them around your life like a bandage so you become so you appear as if i was invisible he goes on to say and can only become visible when someone covers my surface you see that that's somebody who has a deficit and I need you to cover my surface because I feel like I'm, I'm, I can't be seen unless I have something or someone. So do you know yourself well enough to be honest with yourself and to correctly evaluate your current relational system? How much of it is done on credit? How often are you really using someone else as a bandage to wrap around yourself so that you could appear? Perhaps you do good. You serve. You even go beyond what is asked for. But you've got to have recognition. 
you're operating with a deficit. So your service to others is really self-service. See, it's very easy. The reason I'm very familiar with this, it's very easy to get in ministry and look like you're doing good. And really, you're just serving by wrapping other people's comments about you around you like a bandage. You're using people in order to make yourself perceptible. So beware. You're a college female. You haven't yet been rooted in and experienced the deep relational love of God. So you entered the dating world with a deficit. You lend yourself. You lend yourself to young men and you're looking for credit. Hoping they're going to pay off by some continued attention or affection. They're like bandages you use to wrap around your life. Hoping that you become perceptible. This is the year 2022. Unbelievable. 20th anniversary of Christ Community Church. We started in March of 2022. Of 2002. And I recall that very first year, a couple visiting the church. We're over at the, now the YMCA over there. Um, and some member walked up to me and pointed out a couple hey, that's, uh, that's Mr. and Mrs. Somebody. I mean, I didn't know Mr. and Mrs. Somebody. And they said, well, I hope they join the church. And I asked why. And they said this, and I quote, they would make us look good. <clears throat> See, beware. I want the church to be perceptible. I want me to be perceptible. And if other people come in that I de deem as Mr. and Mrs. Somebody, then they make me perceptible. You see how that, it so easily comes into your heart and mind and soul. You have to be so careful. This is why Jesus is pointing out, beware, three different times, beware that your current way of operating isn't a credit system because I'm making disciples and they don't operate on that credit system. You got to throw that system out because I'm introducing a new system, a new system of mercy. It's not based on credit. Point number three be active. Now, this is where we have more time later on, so I'm just going to sort of clip off two points here. You see that Jesus starts his talk with four commands. See that in verse 27. But I say to you, these are commands, these are imperatives. Love your enemies, do good, bless, and pray. You're going to love, do good, bless, and pray. Now let, let me just mention two of these, because I'm afraid our emotional tanks are getting too filled right now to hold much more. And then we'll circle back. Love, love 
your enemies. This Greek word is important. There's four different words for love in the Greek. And when you have four different words, you've got to know which one he's talking about here because it makes a difference. One way is called storge. That's natural affection. One is eros. That's romantic, where we get the word erotic, romantic affection. One is phila, Philadelphia, friendship affection. He doesn't use any of those. He uses agape. This is the love of choice. See, that makes a big difference on how you read this. When Jesus says, love your enemies, he isn't suggesting that this is going to become natural. He isn't suggesting it's going to be generated from feelings. It's not that kind of love. It's not the kind of love you fall into or out of. It's the kind of love that you choose. Choose. Choose to love your enemies. It's not natural. It'll go against your grain. It won't come from any feelings. Like, well, I I need to have some feelings first. Well, then that's not what he's saying. You may not have any feelings, but you have a choice. I don't know if you know this uh, lady in this life, Eddie Hilsium, I think is how you say her name. I was not familiar with her until a few months ago. And she wrote a book. She, She had a diary that got turned into a book called A Life Transformed. She was a young Jewish woman in her 20s. She died in a concentration camp in Auschwitz. And not long before she went to the first concentration camp, then she got transferred and and was murdered at Auschwitz. She was a writer, and she kept diaries. And those diaries more recently have been... um, put into a print form that you and I can read, Eddie Hilson, A Life Transformed. She has a very intriguing relationship with God. But at one point in her book, she writes this, or in a diary, the problem of our age, this is before she's at Auschwitz, but the German devastation she can see is moving in. The problem of our age is that everyone hates the Germans. And it has poisoned our own minds. It has become a sickness of soul. Their barbarism creates the same barbarism in our own souls. We must not fan that hatred into flame or it will consume us. So I choose not to hate. You hear that? What? Talk about a tough choice. She gets on a train packed with other human beings, like cattle. She writes one last postcard, and as the train's pulling off, she stuffs it through a crack, and it floats out. Somebody picks it up. This is her last words we have recorded. My Lord is a high tower, and we left for the camp singing. Can you do that? Person who's added to your misery, can you welcome back and 
duck back into your house. If you choose to love, you have to spend a sufficient amount of time reading, recalling, reflecting on the reality that God shows you. If you don't have enough time in that little place, you're not going to go very far. God has to become a, a real high tower for you. A place where you are really loved and you know it by God in an experiential way. So that when you step out of that high tower, you're free to choose to love. And when we choose to love, especially our enemies, we are great ambassadors for mercy. The last thing, we'll just mention it briefly, it's perfect for our prayer card Sunday, pray. Maybe you are sitting there thinking, many of you are, he doesn't know my enemy. He just doesn't know my story. This doesn't apply to me. I I want you to hear me say, I'm sorry that that has happened to you. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, we're going to be formed by his words, not ours. And maybe you just say, I can't love, I can't do good. Okay, here's what you can start with. You can pray. That may be just, that's all I can do. And that that on your prayer card, you just, you're going to put some initials, maybe some little something to remind you. You don't even want to write their name down. But it's a reminder for you that this year you're committed to just pray. Not just for them, but for you. That the hatred that you have doesn't poison your own soul. pray together Lord this is um, so hard oh these are easy verses to read but everyone here has immediate application that they want to squirm out from underneath these words So I pray that we'd all enter your workshop. You would work on our souls. Help everyone first see themselves and your marvelous mercy welcoming them home. I pray in Jesus' name. The deacons are going to come up and just, uh, like we used to do in the old days with the communion, they'll just dismiss by rows. And if you have a card, you're just going to come up here and you can peel off that little gold tab and stick it to the back of the envelope. And then we'll close with just a song.